Father in heaven, we have taken time this morning to sing your praises. Father, we have given of our tithes and offerings in worship to you in numerous ways already this morning. God, there are servants of yours who have given of their time to come up here over the weekend and make sure that these various broadcasts would work, Father. They're here this morning to to help make sure that this service happens. People who are giving of their talents, Lord, the musical abilities that you've given them, Father, the technical abilities that you've given them. Thank you, Lord, for these who have come to this campus today to help facilitate worship of you, to worship you through their talents. And God, now at this time, we turn our attention completely and totally to your word. Father, wherever we are, I know there may be people at home with kids running all over the house. God, that's probably true at my house right now. My kids are probably driving my wife crazy. But I I ask, Lord, that you would help and cause your spirit to move in a way that we would all be attentive to your word. God, that you would pull aside every distraction. Lord, that you would help us, God, to focus our hearts and our minds on your word and your word alone. Lord, this is. This is a frail substitute for gathering together. But in spite of that, Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would move. God, that You would go forth and You would tug on our hearts. God, that in spite of a weak and frail messenger who is unworthy to deliver the message, God, I pray that You would speak. Father, that my words would be stopped, but Yours, Lord, would flow forward and pierce our hearts. Convict us, God. Comfort us. Challenge us, Lord. Encourage us. All of this is possible by Your Spirit working through Your Word. So, Lord, we ask that You would work among us this morning. That You would speak and that we, Your children, would all humbly listen attentively. God, we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to take it. And turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, please call this church office. Call our our office at 334-222-5551. I'm sorry that I keep throwing stuff out there like that. But let us know. Send us an email. Office at Bethany Andalusia. We would be glad to give you a Bible so that you have hope. And you can turn to the Word of the Lord during this difficult time. Please Let us know if you need a Bible. We will get one to you. Whether you're looking at a paginated text, a Bible that's bound in a book, or if you're looking on your phone or your tablet, or maybe you can still see the screens behind me and you can follow along on the screens. Wherever you are, however you're accessing the Word, I would ask out of reverence, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence of the public reading of God's Holy Word. As we look together at Matthew, beginning In chapter 16, verse 1, we will read through verse 12. And as is our tradition, I will say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with thanks be to God. The word of the Lord says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, 
But you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, "Um, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we come to this passage this morning, we have been walking through the gospel of Matthew. As we have walked through the gospel of Matthew, we have seen Jesus do many miracles, many signs, give many teachings, many very difficult parables. There's increasing opposition of the Jewish religious leaders to his messianic ministry. He is the Messiah and his ministry as the Messiah, as it grows, is going to continue to draw out problems from the Pharisees and the religious leaders. We see that in Matthew chapter 12. This is not the first time that these Pharisees and Sadducees have asked for a sign from Jesus. That happened already in Matthew chapter 12. This is the second time that the religious leaders have approached Jesus to ask him for a sign. So from Matthew 12 to Matthew 16, we see a steady and constant increase of opposition to Jesus's ministry. And some of the things that Jesus has said to these religious leaders has angered them to the point that if you'll remember in previous sermons, the disciples even said... Jesus, do you realize that you frustrated and angered the Pharisees in saying this? But Jesus continues on his path. Not only are the religious leaders beginning to mount against Jesus, but we see in chapter 14, there's an increasing threat from the political machine, if you will. All of the leaders in politics, all of the leaders who were over the Roman government, there is a political movement against Jesus as well. So not only are the religious leaders slowly being stirred up against Jesus, but also the political leaders, as we see in Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus has been turning his disciples and helping them slowly come along to understand more and more clearly his unique identity and his unique mission. Even next week, we're going to see how these disciples misinterpret and misunderstand Jesus' mission. But in chapter 13, Jesus turns away from all of this turmoil and all of this opposition and begins to really invest in his disciples and help draw them along, knowing that it's going to be a slow process. And even when he returns home, he learns and expresses, maybe he doesn't learn, but knows it already as he goes to his hometown And he finds out in his hometown that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among 
his own people. And Jake preached to us about missing the kingdom like those in Jesus' hometown. We're told he was not able to perform many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And so as Jesus continues, he is a compassionate healer and he is a supplier of Israel's needs even though they misperceive his mission. In chapter 14, he supplies their needs. He is Jehovah Jireh. And in Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh is a fancy way of just saying God, the one who provides. So even as we enter into this week's sermon, don't forget that God is the great provider. And often people would refer to God just as God, the provider. And he supplies Israel's needs in spite of their misunderstanding. Again, in chapter 14, he's the son of God who can walk on water and calm stormy seas. He's worthy of worship, even though his disciples again falter on fixating on him. And that's going to happen again in this passage this morning. He's the true teacher of God's word, even though this threatens the security of his disciples. He has to teach God's word and teach it in truth even though that may threaten not only his life, but his disciples' life. And then last week we looked at Jesus and his encounter with this Syrophoenician or Canaanite woman. We talked about how this woman had great faith. And the word for great or vast in Greek is mega. Megas is the Greek word. So she had mega faith. And even though Jesus gave her the silent treatment, even though Jesus gave her a passive, aggressive, indirect message through the disciples, and then even though Jesus called her a dog three times, she approaches Jesus. And even after he calls her a dog, she continues in faith pursuing after Christ. So all of this takes place. All of this happens. And between that encounter and what we read this morning, Jesus again has fed thousands of people. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were normally diametrically opposed to one another, you see, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, but the Pharisees did. These are like two separate political parties, and I would venture to argue that they are as divided in Jesus's time as our Republican and Democratic parties are today. They despised one another and everything was a political move to get one up on the other nothing could be done in unity until it came to jesus you see they both hated jesus so much the resistance and opposition to jesus was such a unifying factor among these two evil peoples that were working against jesus they came together under the common cause of putting him down and finding a way to pull the authority out from under his legs. So the Pharisees and Sadducees come together to test Jesus. They were seeking a sign. And this Greek word to test, we see this same Greek word used in Matthew chapter 4 when the devil goes into the wilderness to tempt Jesus after Jesus has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. So what the author is trying to help us see is that there is no genuine intention in the Pharisees or Sadducees. These are people who are not looking for help or hope. These are people who are completely the opposite of the Syrophoenician or Canaanite woman who was not even in Israel. This woman has faith in Jesus and the Pharisees and Sadducees, instead of coming to Jesus and placing their faith 
in him and asking in earnest for help or for a sign or for healing. They're coming and the Bible is teaching us that they come with the same purposes that the devil came to Jesus. It is the same word in Matthew 4 as in Matthew 16. They arrive to test Jesus, to tempt Jesus. Jesus. And when they say that they want a sign, this is not like when all of the scores of people come to Jesus begging for some sort of healing, begging for the, the removal of a demon in possession. This is not, hey, our brother Lazarus is dead. Can you revive him? Is there anything that you can do, Jesus? This is them asking for some celestial sign. This is some sign in the sky that they are asking for, something that is huge and a phenomenologic kind of event that would be irrefutable and prove once and for all Jesus is the Messiah and the anointed one. But even in their asking for that kind of a sign, they are riddled with sin. They're filled with sin and evil intentions. And so Jesus who is just brilliant in all of his responses. I know he's 100% God, but don't forget he's also 100% man. He is fully God and fully man. He is fully divine and fully human. And even human Jesus is brilliant in his responses to these Pharisees and these Sadducees. Look at the example he gives about how they interpret the weather. Because they're asking for a celestial sign, Jesus immediately goes to a celestial analogy. And maybe you guys have heard this saying before, and and I'm not there in my notes, so I'll probably mess it up, but if the sky is red at night, sailors delight, but red in the morning, sailors warning. This is an Old proverb. This is an old adage. This goes back to Jesus's time and sailors understood mariners of all kinds understood that if the sky was deep red in the evening, then that was a good sign that the seas would be fair the next day. But in the morning, if the sky was red, don't even bother going out fishing. Don't hook up the nets. Don't do anything. Just stay put because if the sky is red in the morning, it's going to be a bad day on the water. So Jesus is pointing out specifically to these Pharisees and Sadducees, you guys understand how to make meteorological predictions. You know how to tell what the weather's going to be like, but you don't understand how to interpret the signs of the times. And folks, this is another point in Scripture where those who are the most faithful churchgoers, those who are the ones who are here even when the services are canceled, those who are tuning in, even though COVID-19 is a pandemic around the world, people tuning in, the folks who are the Pharisees and Sadducees of Jesus' story are the most religious of our time today. We are the representative Pharisees and Sadducees. We are the ones who have to see ourselves in the way these Pharisees and Sadducees act. And so Jesus is saying, you know how to interpret the weather, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. There is interpretation that is required in the signs of the times. This theme of misunderstanding will continue through all 12 verses this morning. We as followers constantly and consistently misunderstand what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is meaning to communicate to us. 
And so what happens is we take it upon ourselves. Well, the moon was red last night, so that means that it's coming to the end of times. Well, COVID-19 is a pandemic around the world, so that means it must be the end of times. There are people out there right now declaring that this is it. Jesus is coming back soon, that Jesus is coming and we better be ready. Look, Jesus is coming back, but nobody knows when. Nobody knows the day. Nobody knows the hour. Maybe this is some sign that's showing us that it's sooner rather than later. But you know what? When World War I broke out, when World War I broke out, everybody said, this is what Jesus talked about. This is the sign of the times. This is it. This is the end of the world. No war, no war in all of world history had ever claimed as many lives as World War I. And then as things settled down and they realized, okay, well, well Time's going to tick on and God's going to let us continue. Then came World War II and everything was awful. And this is it. This is the end of times. Maybe the Great War wasn't it, but now the Great War has returned. All this is going on and, and this must be Jesus coming back. The Japanese are against us. Germany's against us. And, and the world itself is tearing itself apart. Nuclear warheads were dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. This has to be the judgment. Nobody had ever seen atomic bombs explode the way that they did at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And people thought immediately, this is it. Destruction on this level. This is what God is trying to tell us is the end of the world. And remember, the World War II was in the 1940s. And here we are in the year 2020. Folks, there's always going to be people that tell us it's the signs of the times. And oftentimes, those are even religious people. But Jesus assures us that even the most religious people, we don't truly understand how to interpret the signs of the times. And he says, let me tell you something, you won't get a sign. He tells these Pharisees, I'm not going to do something crazy in the heavens. I'm not going to make the skies open up. I'm not going to have God's face just there in the clouds for you to be able to hear his audible voice because you're not asking from a clean heart. You're not sincerely seeking me. You are looking to tempt me and test me. And as perfectly as Jesus responded to the devil, he responds to these Pharisees and Sadducees. And then he begins to march off. And as he marches off, his disciples catch up to him. And I just cannot get enough of these disciples because they're so much like us. I see myself every time I look at these disciples because I'm thick-headed, I'm dumb, and a lot of times I don't get what God's doing in my life or what God's teaching me. But this reinforces what Jesus is saying in the first four verses as we pick up in verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is a normal thing to say. Jesus just had a bad confrontation with the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so he's telling his disciples, you've got to watch out for those guys. They may seem genuine, but they're not. You've got to know the intention of their heart. They're trying to stop what we're doing. They're trying to halt the coming of the kingdom. They misunderstand what the coming of the kingdom really is. So you've got to watch out for those people. And then the disciples start talking among themselves. Yeah, but we... Why is Jesus telling us to watch out for love? We didn't bring any bread. Like, does he know that we didn't bring any bread? This is, a, this is another miracle Jesus foresaw and foreknew that we would forget the bread. And so that's why he talked to us about leaven. Now, given, okay, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus used leaven as a metaphor for the kingdom of God, right? In chapter 
15, we, we got some metaphor about how leaven was a good thing, how the kingdom of God was like leaven that was worked in, right? And then it spreads throughout all the dough. So there's a good analogy for leaven, and now we get to this, and it's, it's a bad analogy. Leaven's not a good thing, okay? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, because their false teachings will work their way into your mind and burrow down and bury deep in your heart and in your mind and spread all throughout your mind. And then it'll spread throughout you as disciples. It's the same way as negativity and panic. Neg- negativity and panic and, and hopelessness and fright they have this way of spreading like leaven in dough. And Jesus is telling his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees and these lovable disciples, these, these honest, hardworking fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and ragtag group of outsiders. They, they just don't get it at all. They, they really don't. They don't have any bread and they're hungry. So there's a lot of debate about what they're actually talking about. But there's, there's a couple of options. Either they're now talking about bread because Jesus used the leaven analogy, or they genuinely are hungry and they're actually worried and concerned about the fact that they have nothing to eat. So these are the disciples that helped pass out food to a group of 5,000 men plus women and children. Jesus took five loaves and a few fish and multiplied it for thousands of people. That's the miracle and the sign that the Pharisees and the Sadducees missed. And in the same way that the Pharisees and the Sadducees missed it, the disciples are missing it because they were there. They handed out the food. There were 12 baskets left over, a basket of leftovers for each one of them. There was a basket there for every disciple. And yet they're either confused and start talking about how they have no bread because Jesus mentions leaven, Jesus must have mentioned leaven because if we don't got any bread, we got to go buy Jesus some bread. Or they're genuinely worried that they don't have food. And Jesus says, guys, I know what you're talking about. And you missed it again. Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? Do you not remember the seven loaves for the 4,000? On two different occasions in the Gospel of Matthew, we are told that the disciples handed out bread to Thousands of people, one time from only five loaves, one time from only seven loaves. Thousands of people. And these disciples are worried that they might not have bread to eat. And Jesus says, don't you remember? I am the bread of life. I am the bread from heaven. I'm the manna that God sent down and I will be your provision. And if you are hungry, I will provide bread for you. Folks, how many of us? can relate to, man, Jesus, there ain't no bread on the shelves right now. Man, Jesus, I, I went to get some meat, and there ain't no meat in the grocery store. Jesus, my pantry's usually stocked about 10 days at the time, and I'm down to about two days at the time. How many people go, Jesus, I'm about to have to go outside and get some leaves because I'm running out of teepee, all right? We got to have something, Jesus. We got to have some relief. Are you going to be our provider or not? We don't have any bread, Jesus. The grocery stores are running out. The grocery stores aren't safe because of COVID-19. What are we going to do? Folks, let us not fall into the same trap that these disciples fell into. They were worried about whether or not they were going to have bread. And they thought Jesus was the one who brought this topic up. They thought Jesus was the one who said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Oh, yeah, man, Jesus wants some bread too. What are we going to do? Jesus is still on the throne. He is still Jehovah Jireh. He is still the same God who could feed 5,000 men and 4,000 men, plus all the women, plus all the children. 
thousands upon thousands with just a few loaves and fish and a few loaves and fish. Folks, there's no reason to doubt that God will show up. There's no reason to doubt that God will prove once again He is Jehovah Jireh. And if you're wondering how you're going to make ends meet, if you're wondering what you're going to do because your daycare closed or because your job lets you go or because there's 281,000 people who are now unemployed in our nation, remember that we serve the God who provides. And when his disciples wondered about what to eat, they remind, he reminded them to look to Scripture, look to their memories, and remember that he provided when there was almost nothing. And in the same way, He will provide for you. And He will provide for us. He will be faithful. But what is also important is He goes back to this reminder, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then it clicks in the disciples' minds. The same way that everybody's spreading false information, and even hackers are taking advantage of this situation to put out false maps of how COVID-19 is spreading so that people will click and they'll be able to infect their computer and get their banking information and all that craziness. In the same way that misinformation and false information is spreading rampantly around this disease, the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees can spread in the same way. So one, we have to trust that God's going to provide for us. He's going to be Jehovah Jireh, the God, the one who provides. But also we have to hold on to orthodox doctrine, true Christian teaching, true Christian belief. There's going to be people who arise and take advantage of this situation with false teachings and false hope and false doctrines. But there is no hope outside of Jesus. Don't believe any of the hype. Don't believe any of the false teachings. Stick to Jesus. Stick to the truth of God's Word. Believe that His Word is true and that not a word will pass. That His Word will stand. That His Word is faithful. That His Word is true. Don't allow false doctrines and false informations that God hates us and that God is trying to wipe all humanity off the face of the earth just like he did with the flood. Don't take people who take half-truths and whole lies out of Scripture and build a false narrative out of it and allow them to woo you to their beliefs and their pandemonium and their panic. Trust that God is good and trust that God is with us and trust That if we believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we have devoted our lives to following Him, if we've been united with Jesus through baptism, being buried like He was buried, being raised up to new life the way that He burst out of the tomb, if that is our story, then God is for us. He is always at work for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. He is always at work for His glory and the good of His children. And don't believe the lies, the false teachings that that's not true anymore. It is. God says He will never change. His character and His nature do not change. And so we can trust in the Lord. But preacher, things are bad. I mean, it's easy to say that when things are good, preacher, but things are bad. 
You don't understand how rough and how hard it is. I need a sign that Jesus is still real. So now let's look at the sign Jesus told us he would give. Look with me there in verse 4. It says an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. So what is the sign of Jonah? What sign could there be with an old dead prophet who went to Nineveh? Jonah himself was the sign to Nineveh. Trust me, folks, when he comes out of a dead fi- out of a belly of a fish and looks dead and may have been dead or covered in the acid that he was chewed up with, his hair's probably white, he's probably missing patches of hair, his clothes are tattered, the fact that the man was in the belly of a fish and was brought back to land and life to preach to Nineveh, Folks, that was the sign to Nineveh. Nineveh responded because never had they heard of or seen a prophet of God in such a condition telling them, I tried to not come and tell you about Jesus. I tried not to come and tell you to repent for the kingdom is at hand, but God wouldn't let me. God brought me here. He put me in the belly of a fish and he brought me up out of that fish just so that I would come here and tell you to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the people of Nineveh said, man, you smell bad, man, you look weird. And that's the craziest, most phenomenological story I've ever heard in my life. What do you mean somebody could be swallowed by a fish in the belly of the ocean for days, for three days in the belly of a fish and then be spat out onto the ground? And so they believed. And so they turned. Now, there's other stuff that happens to Nineveh down the road, but that's why Jesus refers to Jonah, because just like Jonah, he would be swallowed up by death. He would be swallowed up by the grave. He would be in the grave for three days. And then on the third day, he would rise again with healing in his wings. And because he is alive and at the right hand of the Father, we can know that we can be alive after death and be at the right hand of the Father. We need no extra sign. We need no extra proof. Because God has already proven to us that he loves us by sending his son to die on a cross for us. It's all the sign that we need. Now listen, if you want to cry out to God in genuine, honest searching of help and direction, God will always respond. We're told in Jeremiah 29, 13 that you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So if we go and bear our heart and our soul before the Lord and we say, God, will you give us direction? Will you show us? Will you give us a sign of what you want us to do? God will respond and give us direction and give us guidance and put godly people in our lives and direct us to passages of Scripture that will give us hope and encouragement. But as far as a sign in the sky, we have all the proof and all the sign that we will ever need. In some of the most basic and simple verses, look with me at John chapter 3, verse 16. The sign that we have, the proof that we have, even when the cupboard is empty, even when the unemployment check doesn't come in, even when the government can't pass a stimulus to give everybody two weeks worth of wages, no matter what the situation, God has already proven He loves us. And He will not leave us, and He will not forsake us. And He proved that in this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
And folks, one of the most reliable facts, one of the most provable facts in all of Scripture is the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Folks, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Folks. There is no denying that Jesus really existed. He really was a human being. He was God become man. God taking on flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. There's no denying that he existed. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. And not only did he exist, but he lived and he died. And he was raised from the dead. And if you're wondering, God, I need a sign, I need reassurance that you're there. His son came and died and then was raised. How can I be sure that somebody was raised from the dead? You've got to be kidding me. That's a fairy tale. There's no way that somebody comes back from the dead, right? Wrong. Not only did he come back from the dead, he appeared to all kinds of people. He appeared to Cephas, which is the Hebrew name for Peter. Then he appeared to the twelve. Then more than 500 people at one time. Do you know the likelihood of 500 people having the same hallucination about the same person saying the same thing at the same time? It's non-existent. And then these same people, all of these that he appeared to, James and then the apostles and then Paul himself, all of these that he appeared to were willing to go to their death professing that he appeared to them, that he is risen and alive. Listen, if it's a lie, if it's a hoax, if it's not true, let me tell you, I'm going to give it up before you cut my head off. If it's not true, I'm going to give it up when there's a gun to my head. But just like that young lady at Columbine, when they said, are you a follower of Jesus and had the gun to her head, she said, yes, I am. And even in her death, trusted that Jesus died and was raised from the dead. Folks, if it's a lie, if it's a hoax, if it's just some story you're putting on, you don't do that. Here's your chance, Peter. Before we crucify you and hang you upside down and kill you, recant. Say that Jesus didn't come back from the dead. Say that he was just a prophet. Say that this is not real. And Peter said, no chance. String me up. They put him in boiling oil. They killed them. They crucified them. They cut their heads off. And every one of them given a chance to recant and turn away and say, it's all, it's all a fraud. We were lying. And none of them did. That's because it's real. And even when there's a pandemic going around the world, we cannot forget that it's real that Jesus came and lived and died. And we have hope in a provider because he's alive. And it's real. The second thing that they tell us in Scripture that Paul reminds us is in Romans chapter 8. 
since we know that it's real. Since God has demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because that is true, we can know that this is also true. Romans chapter 8 verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who indeed is interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword for your as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How do we know that he loved us? Because of what he just said. He sent his son and he has loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no virus, there is no pandemic that can separate us from the love that God has already proven to us on the cross of Christ. Through the resurrection of His Son, that even if a virus does take our life, we have hope of life eternal in bliss, in paradise, at the side of our Lord and Savior. Don't fall victim to the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is God's truth. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the falsehoods. Don't believe the doubts. Don't believe when Satan comes to tempt you and test you and say that it's not real because God's honest truth says it's real. God loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. That he may be glorified and that we who believe may be glorified with him one day. Folks, that's the hope and the truth of the gospel. Even when you ain't got no bread. Jesus is the bread of life. Even when you don't know where the cupboard's going to be filled from, Jesus is the manna that's new every morning and ready to fill our souls. Church, trust in Him. Believe Him. Trust that Jesus is real and that He died for you, that He was raised for you and me, that He died for us. He lives for us. And if we trust in Him, we can live with Him no matter what our circumstances are here on earth. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the truth and encouragement that is found in your word. Lord, you are our only hope. Father, we ask that you would give us strength, Lord. We ask, Father, that you would move among us even if we're in our homes, among our families, whether we're here in this campus, God, wherever we may be, remind us of the truth 
your son lived, that Jesus, you lived, that Jesus, you died, that Spirit, you raised him up, that Spirit, you live in us and through us, and that you are Jehovah Jireh. We need not worry where our next meal will come from. We need only to worry how to be faithful to you and continue to share the hope and the good news that there is life even after death. Lord, help us to respond in obedience to your word. Help us to love you and love you well. Represent you well during these difficult times. We ask this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.